You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Bose Nose Show. Man, sounds like we got a replay going there, Robin. And another replay. Getting a little echo here, trying to work out doing Facebook Live on the Bose Nose Show. Uh, so there's having some video issues. Welcome to the Bose Nose Show. I've got almost a 30 second play going there, Robin. All right, are we working now? And another replay. situation taken care of sounds like it is so good afternoon and welcome to the Bose nose show we are live streaming on facebook on the krbn internet news talk radio facebook page and i've also shared that to my personal page and my lane county commissioner's page so there's all sorts of ways for you to get the Bose nose show besides going through the uh KRBM blog talk uh, radio page, uh, but you can also, you know, get the show just by dialing in and listening on your phone at 646-721-9887, but that's the same number you can use to talk to me. That's 646-721-9887, but if you want to talk to me, you have to press one so we know you're not just listening to the show that you actually have a question. Let's, uh, it lights up on our board as a question mark, so we'll get to you and get you on the show, because today is a free-for-all day on the Bose Nose Show. We don't have a guest, which means if you call in, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. So you can actually control the content of this one-hour radio show that I do every Wednesday, just trying to reach out to the folks of West Lane County or Lane County in general, or even the state of Oregon or we've actually had folks listening in South Africa and had a telephone call from somebody in South Africa one time on the Bose Nose Show. So uh, that's the beauty of the internet. It goes all over the place. So we usually though try and keep our topics here local to Lane County and, and, and more specifically about uh, you know what's going on in West Lane County. And with that in mind, uh, I had an opportunity just before the show, I got back not too long before showtime to tour our old um, work camp out in Alma, Oregon, which is way out past Lorraine on Sayuslaw River Road, uh, out past the intersection of Sayuslaw River Road and Wolf Creek Road for you locals that know where that is. And uh, it was our old sheriff's work camp that we had to close down uh, when the federal forest dollars that funded it uh, stopped coming in because they did a lot of work in the forest out there and uh, without um, the being arrested that were that were low enough risk to actually trust with a bush axe um, behind the back of a deputy uh, we kind of didn't even have the inmate population to uh, populate that work camp and it got closed down uh, way back about 2008 and it's been shuttered ever since and about a year ago, we went through a process of selecting um, somebody to take that camp over and put it to good use. And we, we approved a, a lease with Veterans Legacy, which was a brand new nonprofit, hadn't even finished getting their nonprofit status from the, the IRS. Um, 
and they're trying to convert the, that facility to serve veterans, uh, particularly veterans that are suffering with PTSD and other issues as they return from service uh, to our area. And they've been doing a lot of work. As you can imagine, a place that's been shuttered for that many years has a lot of problems. Uh, literally about the only thing we did was keep the electricity turned on and enough water running to um, have a little bit of uh, potable water out there. But even the, the uh, septic systems kind of went, you know, out of, you know, haven't been used in years. So there was all sorts of work to be done out there. And in that uh, just about, you know, years since they took over the facility, They've done a lot of work out there. I, I went out there and toured with uh, Mark Oberly, who is their executive director right now, kind of acting executive director, because I, I think they're still in the process of trying to find a permanent executive director for that nonprofit, um, who just happened to be a friend of mine that I worked with when I used to work for the Eugene Water and Electric Board. He was uh, head of the property management section at the time uh, I was uh, a senior project manager there in the water division. And uh, we worked well together there, so it's kind of fun to be back together in sort of a working relationship with the uh, Veterans Legacy Group. And they've managed to get the place really cleaned up. Um, where there used to be gardens two years ago was six foot tall blackberries um, that you couldn't get through. That's now back to gardens again, and it's looking beautiful. Uh, beautiful crop of corn and pumpkins and everything else that were out there uh, getting along uh, that the caretaker that they now have living on site 24-7 uh, so they have security um, has gotten uh, underway and they're looking at getting their first dormitory uh, in enough repair to move in their first five um, uh, veterans uh, sometime in the next six months, it looks like, and that would be a step, and ultimately they're going to serve up to 50 veterans on this facility, even though it used to house 100 um, plus inmates, they don't want to have as high density. They want to give the veterans a little bit more space, um, and you know, instead of being in a you know, bunk bed dormitory close quarter situation, it's going to be a little, you know, single beds, uh, low low walls between them, probably your own little cube area, um, but still somewhat like a barracks that kind of gives them that feel of being part of a unit again, which is something um, some veterans experience when they come back is, is the, the lack of belonging uh, to an organization, that, that, that sudden change from being part of a unit for so long and in such close quarters to complete isolation that seems to um, you know pervade their feelings at times when they're returned to civilian life and this is kind of one of the ways that you know, a transition that they're hoping to provide there uh, as well as you know working uh, with these uh, veterans on on all the various aspects of coping and uh, getting their bodies and minds um, healed and ready to be back in society. So really great mission that the Veterans Legacy folks have. They're doing a great job out there. Um, I've toured the Alma work camp several times with uh, folks from the Department of Corrections and, and uh, uh, Oregon Department of Forestry and the US Forest Service trying to get one of those agencies to take it over. And um, I so I have a great mental picture in my mind of what it was like before the Veterans Legacy folks got out there. And they've just done a spectacular job. And especially with leveraging a lot of um, community support, they've had uh, Keller Williams Realty folks come out and do a, a day of, of, of work out there, getting the landscaping done, where uh, Rexius, I believe, that might have been Lane Forest Products, donated all the bark and mulch. Um, Lane Electric Co-op hauled the bark and mulch out there for the Keller Williams folks. Keller Williams folks did a bunch of weeding and place put it down. You know, so it, it's just one of those things where they're leveraging a lot of community support. Uh, I even heard that uh, one of the local restaurant suppliers has been um, selling them stuff at basically half price um, to resupply, the, to refurnish the, the commercial kitchen that's part of the facility. Um, 
So all sorts of great things happening like that out there that they're they're getting the leverage. Um, really exciting that we'll have this facility here in Lane County that you know will really help that transition for a lot of veterans uh, and, and a needed facility because uh, it, you know, it is a, a real issue that that transition from war zone to hometown is not quite so easy sometimes for for folks. And uh, this may offer that ability for folks that are having difficulty with that transition to, you know, go out there, spend a, a long period of time gaining some skills and some adjusting and slowly transition back to home um, than a sudden transition that might drive them into crisis and, and other issues that we're seeing in our uh, veteran population with uh, the high suicide rate, the high homeless rate, uh, the high substance abuse rate um, of these returning veterans. Um, this is really a, um, a great organization. I can't say enough about Mark and um, the folks on that board that are that are putting this together. Uh, and you know, I, I I told Mark when I was out there, whatever I could do to help them be successful, um, they could count on me. Because um, it, it's really, you know, one of those efforts in Lane County, citizens put this thing together, uh, came up with the concept, and are moving forward, um, you know, blazing a trail. Because I, I don't think anyone's ever tried to set up something like this from scratch like they have, and they're really um, doing a great job with it. You know, it's just... It, speaks to the quality of their board and uh, the, the communities caring about veterans here, how much support they're getting from various groups um, that are coming out and and doing things like uh, painting and all that. They, they have a, a new sign that uh, um, the CTE program of Sutherland uh, High School uh, put made for them with you know their laser cutting equipment and all that that they have in their their cte program you know things like that that are just uh really uh pretty amazing to watch you know the community come together to support veterans kind of you know oregon's pretty strongly supports veterans anyway uh just had to look at the vote on measure 96 uh last uh election when they asked to set aside one and a half percent of the uh, lottery funds for veteran services uh, was an overwhelming yes vote. So, uh, and I, I feel really proud of what Lane County has done so far. Our veteran services office uh, is probably one of the best in the state. In fact, I would have, I would, I would make the claim they are the best in the state. We have the number one amount of annual veteran benefits coming into Lane County of any county in the state. And we are number four in population in this state. So understand that the annual benefits coming into this county from the VA for our veterans is the number one dollar amount annually in the entire state, even though we have counties like Multnomah that have more than twice our population and you've got you know, Washington County and Clackamas County, Marion County, and all have larger, you know, or I should say Clackamas and, and Washington both have larger populations and much larger budgets. And we've still managed to hang on to that number one because we've got, you know, Joby Riley runs that, that office and his, his veteran services officers are some of the best in the business. They know how to cut through the VA's red tape and get our veterans the benefits they earned during their service. So if you're a veteran listening to the Bo's Nose Show today, please call Lane County Veteran Services if you're having any problems with the VA, and they will step in and try and, and advocate for you. And because they've done it so many times for so many other veterans, they know how to get through the red tape where you, know, you as an individual veteran may not know. And if you're the family member of a veteran, husband, wife, uh, aunt, uncle, you know, mother, father, um, and, you're, and the veteran you know is having troubles with the VA system, 
give our veteran services office a call because they're there to advocate for those veterans and help them get the benefits they deserve. And they are really good at doing it. So, you know, if you're interested in veterans legacy, uh, you can give me a call. We can talk more about it at 646-721-9887 here on the Bose Nose Show. And just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation as she's trying to manage our new Facebook Live uh, broadcast as well as our blog talk radio broadcast. So I'm sure she's there acting like a caterpillar in a toe counting contest. Uh, but she will also try and get you in the queue and on the radio as quickly as possible. So again, that's 646. 721-9887 here on the Bose Nose Show, and just press one if you want to get in on the conversation, because today is a free-for-all day, so you know, it's your opportunity to call in and ask your county commissioner or a county commissioner any question you'd like to ask me, uh, whether it's about the veterans' legacy folks, or we can talk a little bit about government, government transparency. So, there's been a lot of talk here because there's folks that are circulating a petition now in Eugene to get an independent auditor position added to Eugene government that would be elected. And also uh, there's been a couple audits that our uh, county appointed performance auditor has released recently that have made the news. Uh, she just released one on our road systems conditions and recently released one on our cash accounting pro, uh, processes in our parks department. Uh, so it's, you know, we've, we've actually had a performance auditor at Lane County for the last couple years, but uh, it's a, an appointed auditor versus an elected one. And if you want to call in and talk about that, which is best, independent elected or an appointed one that reports directly to the board not through the county administrator. And that's, that's kind of the, the difference between the two proposals, really kind of the Lane County system versus what's being proposed by the uh, petitioners there in Eugene. And in addition to that, I got a uh, email and there was a press release that came out from uh, Secretary of State um, Dennis Richardson last week announcing that the Secretary of State's office had put together a transparency page on their website where you could look up all of their checkbook transactions. We're going to be posted to this page and it's searchable. And you know, if you want to see everything they every transaction they've ever made expense-wise, you can see it there. And I, I kind of had to, you know, one step back because I thought that was already part of um, all government in Oregon because there was actually a statute passed that we were required to do that quite a while ago. And Lane County has actually had that very same thing since January of 2010. You can go to our website and if you uh, search for transparency, um, you, you, know, you can actually get to a page about government transparency and I'll have all of our uh, by month and by year you can look at every deposit and expense that's gone through our, our general ledgers uh, at Lane County. That means if somebody used their county credit card to charge a lunch, you'll see that lunch charge on there. And if they, you know, if they uh, wrote a check to some, uh, you know, for travel or something like that, that'll show up there. So if you want to look at everything we ever pay for in Lane County, mind you that, you know, with a $600 million budget, it's a lot of checks, but it's in there month by month. But you just want to peruse it. Um, sometimes it's just kind of as amazing how many different things we pay for in Lane County. Um, but it's been there for seven and a half years, and it, the sec and it took uh, Secretary of State Richardson getting elected to implement it for the Secretary of State Department. I don't know about the rest of Oregon government, but at least one major department of Oregon government now has that transparency in place. And it took getting Secretary Richardson elected and in place in his initiative to implement it. 
I don't know what Kate Brown did while she was Secretary of State or Bill Bradbury did, but apparently they did not think that transparency in the Secretary of State's office on their financial expenditures was very important to get it on their website like Dennis Richardson did. So applause to uh, Secretary of State Richardson. Uh, welcome to uh, government transparency. Lane County has been there for seven and a half years. Uh, so I, I, you know, it's fun to poke fun at the state a little bit, uh, but uh, and they're they're an easy target for me. So I probably shouldn't do it too often, but you know, I do think Lane County has made great strides toward transparency uh, during uh, before and during my tenure as commissioner, and it's something we really want to do. It's one of the reasons why we. Um, brought our performance auditor back on. There was an audit position that was um, identified and was has been in our budget, but not not um, hired because it really wasn't well defined. And we went through a process with a our um, standing audit committee and set up uh, an interim uh, audit committee uh, performance audit committee and then ultimately a permanent one once we hired um, our performance auditor on. And it's interesting because I don't think people understand, a lot of people are familiar with audits, you know, the IRS audits where they look at your tax records, or they're used to, um, even government agencies have annual audits every year of their books to make sure that, you know, everything balances and all that. Those are financial audits, and they're different than a performance audit. And a performance audit is basically about um, what are the goals of a program, what are the processes, are you using best practices to achieve those goals, do you have process improvements in place, are the checks and balances there, and it, it doesn't just look at did you properly account for every dollar that came in and every dollar that went out of your agency. That's a financial audit. And there's lots of financial auditors in this world. You know, and it, although financial auditors tend to be also accountants, not all accountants are auditors. So auditing is a specialty of accounting, and performance auditing is a subspecialty of auditing. And it's very specific, and it actually has separate certifications uh, to become a, a, a uh, recognized and certified performance auditor because it is so different. You're not just looking at somebody's financial records. You're looking at performance uh, records. What are the outcomes? You know, if your agency was charged to, like our Veterans Services Department, connect people to uh, VA benefits, are you actually achieving that? How are you doing that? What processes do you have in place? What's the training for your 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 folks to get to achieve that end? Uh, what what are the accountability uh, uh, measures that you have in place? And and you know it involves an awful lot. Uh, and to do a good job, the agencies that you're auditing or programs that you're auditing have to understand that the auditor is there to help them do better work. They're not there to get them in some way, to find something that's bad and make it public and make an example out of them and and go, gotcha. That's not what performance auditing is meant to do. Performance auditing is meant to make that program function better or that agency or that department. And and to, you know, ultimately it's about saving taxpayer monies because they're performing better and using best practices and getting good outcomes, uh, then you're getting the best bang for that taxpayer buck. Financial audits will look for a lot of different things. The performance audit is completely different. And that's where I kind of get sideways with, with the petition that's being that's going around in Eugene, because they want to elect their independent auditor. And, you know, that's fine if all you wanted to do was financial audits, but what they really want is performance audits, which is such a small subset of people that I don't know if there's 
three certified performance auditors living inside the city limits of Eugene. In fact, that's probably all I know of because I think one of them works for U of O, one of them used to work for, for Lane County who just recently uh, went on a sabbatical, and another one uh, I believe works for the Secretary of State's office and commutes to Salem. So, you know, it's really a, a very specialized subset of people. So if you do that as an elected position, how are you going to get those kind of qualifications? And, and, and 160,000 people that Eugene is may not be a large enough pool to find that. Lane County has been trying to replace our performance auditor for the last six months and had so far went through one recruitment that was unsuccessful process. You know, we are getting towards the end of our second recruitment process, and it is very difficult to get people uh, to apply for the, the job because there's so few of them out there. So I don't know how electing an independent auditor is going to, you know, it does make them directly answerable to the electorate. But in our case, our auditor is directly answerable to the county commissioners who are elected. You know, and is independent of the county administrator. And it, it seems to me that Eugene could take a page from Lane County and set up a very similar system. And in addition, we have a we have an audit committee that oversees the work of performance auditor and actually sets up the work plan and, and recommends the work plan to the county commissioners. And that audit committee is made up of appointed citizens that the commissioners appoint and, and some various uh, elected officials from the county, including one commissioner, um, that kind of steers that work. So there's citizen input on that work plan through that audit committee and then it's you know adopted by the board in a public process so you know if the if the, if the citizens wanted to know what the auditor is doing they can go and look at the county's adopted work plan for the performance auditor and we basically uh, to set up that work plan we went through a risk assessment of, of over uh, almost 200 different programs and departments in the county and did a prioritization based on the greatest risk to the county, either financially or legally or or critical function uh, to the county in some way, which is one of the reasons why the very first audit um, the auditor did was just a financial indicators audit because it, it, at two years ago we were you know teetering on the edge with with the end of uh, secure rural schools, and the second audit she she did was our behavioral health department because that is a huge uh, risk area for the county uh, in, in not only the people being served if they're adequately being served uh, are, are at risk but then there's also risk for legal involvement uh, and, and there's a fair amount of uh, financial uh, grants from outside agencies like the federal government, the state government that run through that department. So it was determined to be the highest risk to the county program. And that's why it was the top and very first performance audit was done. And it did make some recommendations and we're carrying those out. Just as uh, the most recent audit on cash counting in our uh, cash handling processes in our parts department made some recommendations some of them, which are countywide recommendations, so they're even being going beyond our parks department. So it's really been a very functional program. And because that is reporting directly to the board versus the electorate, there's no real desire for the performance auditor to get that gotcha moment so they can get reelected the next time. That's the real danger of an elected auditor is they have to run for re-election every four years or two years. I don't know what the term is going to be in, in Eugene. I, I don't know. I haven't read the petition fully enough. But um, you still have that. I, I've got to wow the public so that I can win my next election, which kind of makes it adversarial with the, whatever departments are being audited, which tends to make them not as willing to share information and, uh, you know, it, you really, when you talk to performance auditors, certified performance auditors, one of the things they'll tell you, it's all about 
building relationships with the people in the program you're auditing so you can get the best information and it, it also so that there's no there's less resistance to carrying out any recommendations that result from the audit. So if you're in there in an adversarial position as an elected independent, completely independent auditor who's got to get elected again, that relationship building becomes that much more difficult. And then, you know, the ability to actually have an impact with your recommendations becomes that much more difficult. So you know, up to me, I would be uh, looking towards an appointed auditor in, in Eugene. They definitely should have one. I think it's important because I think it's a piece of transparency that the public wants and demands because there's such a strong city manager position in Eugene, just as what in Lane County, our county administrator, has a lot of independence and control, and you sort of want somebody looking at the programs that they're running and seeing if they're running well and reporting directly to the board who, who is looking out for the best interest of Lane County, not looking for a gotcha. And if they were, if the independent, if the performance auditor in Eugene was reporting directly to the elected city council and mayor, it would be the same. You know, they'd be looking for the city to be successful not for the gotcha moment to get reelected. Yeah. So that's my government transparency 101 for the day. There's something else you'd rather talk about here on the Bo's Nose Show. Give us a call at 646-721-9887 and just press one if you want to get in on the show. Again, that's 646-721-9887 and just press one. Or if you're listening on Facebook Live, you can comment and Robin and I will try and pick up that comment uh, off of our screens and uh, we can address that on the air here. So if you're uh, listening to us on Facebook, that's one way you can get in on the program or you can call us also 646-721-9887. Just press one. So other things happening here in Lane County and, and Kind of across the state is kind of important. And I, I addressed this a little bit last week when I was kind of taking the Register Guard on for their uh, headline about the transportation bill that said Lane County fails to get funding for Beltline, which, as I discussed last week, wasn't truly the case because I don't think we actually asked for direct funding to Beltline. What we did want was a larger pot of money that ultimately Beltline might be able to get, get funded from because we already had $5 million sitting in a state uh, account that had already been allocated to Beltline to go into the next piece of the process that we were waiting for the city of Eugene to adopt um, the preferred alternatives to move into, which they did in July after the legislature had actually um, recessed and, and adjourned. So we weren't really asking for money for Beltline, but what the transportation bill did was uh, make the bucket of money bigger. And in addition to making that bucket of money bigger, that was there for um, the counties, it also um, gave some funding directly to counties. Because one of the things that happens with gas tax vehicle registration fees that go into the state highway fund is they're divided by a formula between ODOT, counties, and cities. And basically, ODOT takes about half of it off the top, 50%. And they you know, use that to fund all of ODOT's operations and maintenance uh, of the state highways and all of their their offices and engineers, and you, you name it. And um, then a portion of that 50% goes into the, the state transportation improvement program, which is where a lot of different road projects get funded from through a competitive process that involves the Oregon Transportation Commission. And uh, that's the bucket of money I refer to when I talk about the bucket got bigger. It's that portion of the ODOT's 50% it goes into that, um, what they call the STIP, the State Transportation Improvement Program. 30% uh, of that 
money goes to counties and gets divided amongst the counties based on what your vehicle registration is in your county as percent of the total vehicle registration across the state. And we did something in that House Bill 2017 where some of the really unpopulated counties like Grant and Harney were being kind of harmed by that that formula because they've got a lot of miles of road and very few cars. So we did um, a, a formula that actually favors some of those unpopulated counties and kind of took away from some of the more populated counties like Lane and Multnomah. But it was such a small portion of what we get that it was almost, you know, less than a tenth of a percent. But compared to what their overall budget was and what they had been getting from the state through the gas taxes, it basically doubled some of their 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 annual contributions, changing that that formula a little bit. For those unpopulated east east eastern and southern counties, um, really was a big big help to them. But that 30 percent, when that that bill passed, that increased gas taxes, increased vehicle registration fees, put that tax on bicycles and and all that. Um, that made that 30% grow a lot. And then, of course, there's 20% that goes directly to cities and gets split up. So that is really, uh, you know, that was the biggest thing we were trying to get done in getting this transportation bill passed, is getting those pots to be bigger. And this is the difference it makes for Lane County. So in this, this current budget year, Lane County is going to get about $20.7 million in highway funds from the state. That bill added about two and a half million more to that. So basically a 10% increase just in, and, and that's just the last half of the year and some of those taxes just starting to kick in. Next budget year, we're gonna get about 5.1 million more from the state than we had been getting. Following year, it's about six million even. The year after that, it's going to be seven million even. And the year after that, it's going to be about eight million. Now, just to put that in perspective, the last full secure rural schools payment, the portion that went into our road funds, was right about that eight million dollar mark. So we're starting to get back to making up for what we lost in federal forest payments and, and having the, at least enough money to start maintaining our roads better. And if you think about, you know, I, I've had people call me, we don't do dust control on gravel roads anymore because we had to cut that out of our roads program. We are going to one path of mowing on most of our roads uh, across the county. Some, you know, we've had you know, a couple roads on the coast side where we get a little bit more vegetation growth. We have had, had to do a second pass uh, for fire safety. But for the most part, we get one pass a year of mowing. We used to do three passes a year for almost every road in Lane County. And that's a, a safety issue with uh, you know, vegetation getting in vision way and also fire safety issues. So. Uh, you know, and we've had to reduce the amount of uh, surface maintenance like chip seal and overlays that keep our roads nice and smooth. And that's really, you know, it may seem like a lot of money to have uh, almost $30 million in annual spending on county roads. We have a $6 billion transportation asset in Lane County that Lane County owns. 1,440 miles of roadways, 417 bridges and about 10,000 culverts that we maintain in our in our highway department. It, you know, 20 million, 30 million dollars is not a lot of money to maintain six billion dollars worth of assets. You know, it's not even one percent of that asset. So when you think about trying to replace it, uh, that's basically a 200-year cycle of replacement. And I don't think anyone thinks that roads and bridges last 200 years. Um, so we definitely still need uh, 
to increase that funding, get, get things where they're going. But that was a huge win uh, for counties and cities in trying to keep our transportation system up there. And, and in fact, we even had some additional wins where we got some direct funding of uh, the territorial road improvements down near um, uh, between Ham Road and Moraine, uh, where it's you know got a lot of problems with uh, really rough pavement because the road's slipping off the side of the hill. So there's going to have to be some big, expensive geotechnical uh, support work done to keep the road bed in place before we even repave it properly and widen it so it's safe. Um, in addition, we got three million dollars towards uh, doing the environmental assessment work on Highway 126 between Eugene and Benita. And in fact, uh, tomorrow, the project manager for uh, some of the safety improvements is coming to my Lions Club to be our guest speaker tomorrow. And we are going to be live broadcasting that on Facebook tomorrow through my uh, Jay Bozovich Westland County Commissioner page and probably share it onto KRBN internet. So uh, somewhere just about 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, uh, I'll be going live on Facebook to broadcast uh, ODOT's uh, region manager, Franny Brindle, and her project manager for the 126 safety improvements that are going to start next summer uh, in 2018. Uh, that are going to add some left turn lanes and some widenings and do some uh, additional uh, whiting of some dark areas like where some of the bus stops are. Uh, like at Houston and Elmaker, um, it, it should help out a little bit with how dangerous that road is. It's not the final solution. That $3 million is about doing the environmental assessments on the actual widening of 126 out to four lanes sometime in the future if we can ever get the money for it. But that's what's making that pot for the state transportation improvement program bigger is all about because in future years, that bigger pot may be available to fund those kind of expansions of roadways like Beltline and Delta and Highway 126 West. So some really good um, uh, things coming up uh, in transportation here in Lane County. That, that House bill um, that was the transportation bill known as House Bill 2017 actually uh, did for us was making those pots bigger, in addition to some specific earmarked money. Uh, also, they earmarked $12 million to improve 42nd Street uh, in uh, Springfield. So hopefully uh, that might help out with some of those problems they're having there with uh, train traffic and everything else there in Springfield and getting caught with the uh, trains coming across to the uh, the where uh, to the IP plant uh, there, and uh, also uh, some of the pedestrian safety issues out there. So, some really good uh, stuff that came. There's even some money for Highway 99 uh, pedestrian improvements in inside in between downtown Eugene and Beltline. They're coming up through uh, the Train Song neighborhood. So, really. Um, some real wins for Lane County in that transportation bill. So disappointing to see the Register Guard throw a headline on a story about the transportation bill that made it sound like we failed when we got just about everything we wanted. You know, the only thing we could have wanted was, you know, more. And I, I don't think, you know, I don't want to be greedy. I think we got a lot. <laughs> Plus, there's the question, you know, there's that balance about how much can people really afford in new taxes uh, on gasoline and all. So, you don't want to get you don't want to go too far. There's a need in our transportation system, but you also have to base it on the people's ability to pay uh, a little bit and kind of temper that and not make those increases too big. And I think the transportation bill kind of took some of that account because they are actually uh, doing some of the increases in the taxes slow motion over uh, 10 years so that they won't be fully up to the, the, the level. That's why our, our amount that we're getting increases every year is because the taxes are going to go up every couple of years um, on, on gasoline. So it won't be a sudden uh, jump in, in gasoline prices that people won't be ready for. Uh, so good things in transportation, Lane County. 
talked a little bit about Veterans Legacy at the beginning of the program. We talked about government transparency and auditing uh, of government. And we talked about transportation here on the Bo's Nose Show, but I want to talk about what you want to talk about because this is a free-for-all day on the on the Bo's Nose Show where you get to control the conversation. And you can do that by calling in at 646-721-9887. Just press one, lets us know you want to get on the conversation. Again, if you want to write it down, 646-721-9887. And just press one. And if you're on Facebook and you go to one of my posts about the show, that number's in the post. If you know, if you can do the see more about the post, you know, where you know Facebook cuts stuff off, the number's further down in the Facebook post. Um, and that's how you can get a hold of me here on the Bose Nose Show every Wednesday at four o'clock, broadcasting live. But after the show, uh, within 24 hours on the next day, the show gets archived onto the internet, and you can go back and listen to every Bose Nose show I've ever done by going to the uh, Blog Talk uh, KRBN radio, uh, internet radio uh, face, uh, uh, website, and it's also available if you uh, uh, Google search for it uh, for the uh, KRBN Internet Radio. You can find it that way pretty easily. And I've had some interesting guests on uh, over the, the, the years, and uh, you can kind of go back and find some of those guests from the sheriff uh, and and the uh, county, uh, the tax assessor to uh, other county commissioners to the executive director of Kids First uh, and to even Bill London from the famous Wake Up Call on KPNW, that was a fun show, to Bob Snedden from uh, Coast Radio and KCST uh, two weeks ago was my guest talking about his 18 years of broadcasting news in the Florence area and just some of the uh, fun things that happened to him over those 18 years and uh, kind of what some of the stories he remembers and and, and just... Uh, you know, some of his memories of elected officials and things that happened. Uh, interesting little show to listen to. But uh, I mostly want to hear and talk to you about what you want to talk about here on the Bose No Show. So you can give us a call anytime at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 and we'll get you right on the show with your question and we'll talk about your concerns, whether it's um, you know, government transparency, how we're serving our veterans here in Lane County, what we're doing as far as transportation infrastructure and trying to improve the safety of our roads, the, the crime, to, you know, how we're handling some of our, um, you know, trying to prevent crime here in Lane County. And that's, you know, something I've spent quite a bit of time in the last two weeks doing the kind of little known process most people don't understand or even know that happens, but there's a significant amount of funding that comes to Lane County uh, for basically uh, supervising uh, adult criminals that are on parole and probation and also trying to uh, prevent and divert and get people to re-enter society that have been involved in the criminal justice system uh, through the state. And that comes through something that's called the Local Public Safety Coordinating Council. And actually, you know, here it's called the Lane Public Safety Coordinating Council. And I am the uh, board's uh, appointed member of that Public Safety Coordinating Council. And as such, I am also a member of their budget committee. And that budget committee uh, sets up and recommends to the full Public Safety Coordinating Council a budget that then is adopted by the Board of Commissioners to spend what's known as Community Corrections Act funding and also the Justice Reinvestment Grant Program funding. So those are two separate funding streams coming through the state, Tulane County. There's also a uh, um, another house bill that comes to us through the state 
uh, we also have to allocate funds. It's a real small piece of our funding. Uh, I think it's 5098 was the name of the bill um, that has some additional money for the Justice Reinvestment Grant. But the total amount of money that is coming into the, through the state on those programs is about $260 million distributed statewide, of which Lane County piece is about, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of what the total is. It's about $27, $28 million total uh, that's coming through. Quite a bit of that goes to uh, the jail and to our parole and probation department because it's supporting two things, uh, jail beds, work crews, uh, the Community Corrections Center, the um, day release programs that support our parole and probation system where those beds are available to sanction people that, that violate their parole and probation conditions or you know lesser sanctions like having to do work crew on the weekends or something like that. But the whole uh, idea is those funds are there you know, to help with that system. Of course, the ones that go to the parole and probation actually fund those, those the parole officer positions and, and the functioning of our parole and probation department, uh, which is pretty important because you know we're managing folks that are um, you know uh, either serving you know probation instead of going to prison, or they're on parole uh, after they're released from prison as a continuation of their sentence, um, and you know, if those folks, you know, don't maintain their conditions, they end up going to prison or going back to prison. And there's a problem here in the state in that we're running out of prison beds. And if we have to build new prisons, it's going to cost the state upwards of $600 million to build those new prisons. And, and the staff them annually is going to be uh, in the tens to hundreds of millions of dollars uh, range to keep those prisons functioning. So the objective of a lot of the, these uh, programs is to try and keep people out of prison. And this is where we get to do a lot of innovative work. In addition to the standard, you know, uh, sanctioned beds in our jail and parole officers, you know, supervising people, we're doing some really interesting work with groups like sponsors and, and helping people have transitional housing that are leaving prison similar to the transitional programs that Veteran Legacy is offering, it's a different world coming out of prison and back into society. And to be successful and not re-offend re and end up back in prison and needing an additional prison bed, we want these folks really to have a good transition, learn some skills, get ready, get it back into society and function and not return to prison. And we're having excellent, excellent results. And, and part of this, um, uh, the Justice Reinvestment Grant Program, is we actually have to track and keep those results and report back to the state on them. And we've got some really great programs, including our specialty court programs, which we're partially funding through some of these funds, like our Veterans Court, our Mental Health Court, our Drug Court. Those are really great programs that allow us to uh, divert people that were going to prison, put them on a, a, a court-ordered program that they have to keep on that program, which could include um, mental health and addiction treatment, um, you know, having to go through, uh, uh, you know, career training or, or skills training or cognitive behavioral, behavioral, cognitive behavioral, Ah, tongue tied cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a way of it basically is a, a, a skill building set, you know, of how to deal with things in other ways than than uh, violence and and uh, getting wasted as a coping method. Um, really, you know, these things are important uh, to keep these people out of the prison system because it's a lot cheaper to send them through some of these programs, these addiction programs, than it is to send them to prison, particularly if it's a kind of a program that's a, a day treatment program or whatever, far, far less expensive per, per, per day, per month, per week. And if we can get these people to be successful and they complete these programs, 
the statistics show that they will not end up in prison in the future. And then they end up a lot of times becoming taxpaying citizens contributing to uh, the tax base that funds these programs in the first place far better than paying for warehousing them in a prison somewhere. So the last couple of weeks I've been serving on that budget committee as we prepare our budget now that the legislature's over, we know what we have for the year, and we're preparing our next biennium's budget for these programs. And it's been really exciting building this budget and, and getting to, to fund some new programs. You know, one of the things we're going to do is expand our gender-specific programs in our uh, parole and probation department and hire some staff specifically for women involved in the justice system because they have such a different set of needs. And almost all women that are involved in uh, the justice system are also victims, which is you know a little bit different than a lot of the men, but almost all women are also you know, they may be involved for a lot different reasons, but they're, you know, they may have been sex trafficked, they may have been abused other ways physically by partners. Um, they, they have other reasons that are driving their criminogenic behaviors, and they need a different set of supervision, and um, they almost, you know, quite often have to have trauma-involved um, Therapy, uh, where it, you know, understanding the trauma some of these women have been through, and and helping them, you know, get better and be functional in society, and we're going to get to expand some of those programs because some of the funding actually is one of the few places the state expanded their investment was in these kind of programs, which is really kind of exciting because it also helps us try and keep people that actually have mental health issues out of our jail and out of our prison system and and deal with those mental health issues, which quite often is, is what's driving some of the criminogenic behavior. And I've talked about that before on this program, but this is one of the pieces of funding that helps support this matrix of programs uh, that come from the criminal justice side of things. We also have pieces of funding that come from the human services side of things. One of the neat things about the Public Safety Coordinating Council is they're actually mental health and human services people that are part of that council. The whole point of it was to get people together and break silos down because we're all dealing with the same people in a lot of ways. You know, that person that the um, emergency medical folks are being called to attend to because he's passed out on the corner somewhere is also the same person that needs you know housing possibly from a human services department but has also been involved in uh, multiple arrests by a police department probably been incarcerated in our jail several times and has been in our court system and involved with our da all those people around the table at the Public Safety Coordinating Council helping prioritize, set up these budgets, you know, divvy out this money and try and work on, you know, objective, data-driven, best management practices that have the, have the biggest bang for the buck and are actually effective in turning these people around, turning their lives around, getting them back into society, functioning and providing, um, you know, really, you know, the skill sets for these people to be successful. And, and that's really exciting work for me. If you can't tell, I'm, I get a little jazzed when I start talking about it. Like, you know, that's probably why I'm, I'm an elected official in county government, because we do touch so many things. And what have we talked about today from, you know, dealing with serving veterans to expanding our transportation system and keeping our transportation system functional. And now we're talking about um, trying to help people uh, stay out of prison and, and, and ultimately dealing with the crime side because every one of those folks that we help beat an addiction and get out of that cycle of, of, arrest, of, of addiction, uh, petty theft and arrest really gets us into a better place here in Lane County. With that, I'm going to wrap up the Bose Nose Show for this week. It's been great talking to you on a free-for-all. 
today, and I hope that you'll call us in the future on the Bo's Nose Show, and I hope you are able to listen to us live on Facebook today, and that will be available also on Facebook after the show, where you can stream at any time, and uh, available all week long, just like the Bo's Nose Show is on our internet site. So welcome, and thank you for listening to the Bose Nose Show. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you next week here on the Bose Nose from beautiful downtown Elmire, Oregon. Good night. Mm-hmm.